Well, I guess this is just my summer body now. I see you, friend, trying on the swimsuit, the tank tops, the shorts, and wishing you had made more progress since January. Now you're feeling like you might as well abandon hope until the fall because of summer barbecues, vacations, and travel, and the stress of the kids being out of school. The summer holidays can feel like food temptations and sugar everywhere, like food pushers at parties trying to get you to eat what they made, like people you have to see who talk about topics you don't want to talk about, like foods that are only available this time of year and you struggle with fear of missing out, and like being halfway through the year and judging yourself for not being further along in your goals. You do not have to wait until after the summer to prioritize your health. You don't have to resign yourself to stress, exhaustion, deprivation, discomfort, and shame over the summer holidays. The Self-Care Keto Holiday Guide will help you navigate the food opportunities of the summer holidays from a mindset of self-care with a 50-page, easy-to-use, downloadable and printable guide, 26 easy keto holiday recipes, and a holiday planner exercise that you can reuse holiday after holiday, year after year. You will design a plan that is focused on what you will actually enjoy because it's your summer too. You'll uncover the people-pleasing mindsets that cause you to self-sabotage on holidays. You'll have strategies for food and alcohol that actually work for you. You'll have exciting new recipes that everyone will love. You'll know how to handle food pushers and awkward food conversations. You'll develop self-awareness and self-compassion for emotional eating. You'll know how to succeed anywhere, at home, at someone else's house, even at a restaurant or traveling. You'll feel in control and have zero regrets. And you'll be ready to get right back on track with a healthy mindset after a holiday. You can instantly download your copy at theketofit.com slash holiday. Hey guys, welcome back to the Self-Care Keto Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and this week I have a really exciting episode for you. You know how I offer my once-a-month mindset classes on various different topics, and this month, in the month of May, the topic is self-compassion. So you guys know that I am so passionate about rewiring our brains and changing our beliefs, changing the story that we tell ourselves surrounding food and weight and body image. But it's actually impossible to do this unless we are doing it from a place of self-compassion. Fear and judgment can definitely produce temporary results. We have all experienced that, right? But if we actually want the long-term results that flow from a place of ease and flow and self-care, which is what we're really going for, then it has to be done from a place of love, not fear and judgment, not all of the shoulds not just self-awareness of, yeah, I know exactly what my problems are and where they come came from, but why can't I just get it together? It has to be from a place of self-compassion. Love is what truly transforms us from the inside out. So that's what this class this month is actually all about, is how to develop more self-compassion. And this week, I'm going to be giving you guys a sneak preview of the class. So stay tuned for the episode here where you will hear a snippet of the class. And then at the end, I will tell you exactly how to get your hands on the rest of the class. So enjoy. So we are going to jump into our um, topic for this week. Um, Last week, we talked all about emotional eating, and we talked about also meeting our own needs. And so basically, it's about the food, but it's also about so much more than the food, right? And so with keto as a concrete strategy, 
it really helps to overcome the physiological hunger and the physiological cravings that sugar gives to us, right? But I know that all of you at one point or another have experienced this, that keto does not solve all of your problems in, in life. It doesn't make stress go away. It doesn't make um, emotional eating go away. Um, it can really, really help. So I don't want to diminish the fact that keto really helps suppress, um, you know, physiological hunger and cravings. And a lot of times we actually need to get that straight first so that we can then have the focus. Um, it's almost like impossible. It's like, it's like when you're trying to function as a sleep deprived person, like you only have so much energy and, and mental capacity to handle things. Right. But then if you get a full night's sleep, it's like, oh, you're a brand new woman and you can handle so much more. Right. Um, so the way that I like to say it is like keto gave me the mental energy and capacity to actually then do the mindset work of healing my disordered relationship with food and weight and body image and these negative limiting beliefs that I have been harboring for my entire life, there's no way I could have faced that. There's no way I could have unpacked that if I were still riding the blood sugar roller coaster and feeling like I was truly like um, physiologically addicted. Like that's how it felt. Every single night I would have my, you know, carb heavy dinner. And then an hour later, I'd be wanting to snack something sweet, something salty, something sweet, something salty. I'd feel so awful, bloated, gross by the time I'd be going to bed, hanging my head in shame, saying, I'm not going to do this again tomorrow, and then restrict during the day and then eventually, you know, give right back in again. And it would just happen day after day after day. So definitely using keto as a concrete strategy really gave me the mental leg up to then start to deal with some of these mindset things. That's why I love to pair together keto and a self-care mindset, because it's really both. We need the right strategy, but we also need the right mindset. So today our topic is called compassion for your coping. And so last week we were talking about emotional eating, right? Like what are the thoughts that we're having? Um, what is the, what is the food serving as a substitute for? And so if you need a refresher on that, you want to go back to that um, check out the table on page 50. It's called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And it goes through all the different needs in our lives. And when I say needs, you guys, these are needs. They're not optional. They're not nice things to have. They're like fundamental human needs. So we need our physiological needs to be met. We need a sense of safety and security. We need our social needs to be met. We need to feel a sense of love and belonging. We need esteem needs. So we need to feel self-sufficient. We need to feel like um, we're good at what we're doing. Um, we need to have dignity, achievement, competence, um, a good reputation with other people. Like these are all needs that we have. And then the highest level um, would be like self-fulfillment. So spiritual needs, um, feeling like we're living out our purpose in life and we have a good understanding of what that is. These are needs. And so what happens though, is when um, we get these things disordered, and when we are using food as a substitute for another area, another area in our lives, which happens all the time and it's totally normal. Um, we cannot actually rewire our brains unless we have self-compassion. Self-awareness is not enough. I don't know about you guys. Raise your hand if you have a huge dose of self-awareness. Like, you know your own crap. You know where this came from in your childhood. <laughs> Maybe you've been in therapy about it. Like you've talked about it to death, right? Like, you know, your stuff. I, he I hear you. I spent so much of my life like, oh yeah, I'm aware. I know that this came from my relationship with my mom. I know this came from my relationship with my dad, whatever. Like, I remember feeling this way at seven years old, all of this. 
but I, I had self-awareness, but no self-compassion. So meaning I knew what my, what my problem was. And then I would say to myself, you should really have it together by now. Like you should really be past this by now. A bunch of shoulds. Okay. I had no self-compassion whatsoever. Um, my first question for you all is how would you rate your self-compassion on a scale of one to 10? 10 is like, oh, you love yourself as much as you love your, your child, right? Versus one is like, oh, you hate yourself as much as you hate your worst enemy. <laughs> so how would you rate your self-compassion on a scale of one to 10? Tell us a little bit how you talk to yourself. What's that inner dialogue like? Um, who does it sound like? Um, is there somebody that it actually does sound like, does it sound like an adult in your life from when you were a child? Whose voice does that inner jerk voice sound like? Um, so let's go around. Um, Leanne has started us off. She's put stuff in the chat. Okay. She, um, she says that she would give herself a five on her self-compassion. Um, she says that she talks worse to herself but she's better than she used to be. Okay, so you talk worse to yourself than you would to a friend, but you you feel like you're getting better at that. And your inner critic sounds like your dad. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, who else would like to share? How would you rate your self-compassion? Um, how do you talk to yourself? And whose voice does that inner critic sound like? I also would say I'm a five. Okay. Um, and it, in the last few years, I've learned to, I mean, there's some days where I think I'm more like a seven, you know, like I, you know, there's just other days, like right now, I'm kind of really dealing with some heavy stuff. So even about myself and choices I've made. And so, so it's harder to be more compassionate in those, in those times. But, but I'm also, again, encountering a compassionate God who says, I love you no matter what. So it's like, okay. And God doesn't make junk. Okay. All right, so I got to learn to be more compassionate and understand just as I can co be compassionate for others and say, gosh, yeah, I understand why you're having a bad day. You know, a lot of bad things happened and um, but you're still here. You, you, what, you know, you could list all the good things. So sometimes it's just a matter of shifting instead of going from what don't I have or what what have I failed at to what do I have or what have I completed? What have I finished well? Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's, I'm learning to just shift my eyes and look at the glass half full, not half empty. And I'm generally a positive person, mm -hmm. but sometimes, especially in regards to myself, I can be so much more critical because, I mean, I've been around the, the sun a few, a few years and I think surely by now I should know better, but I still go back to these old tendencies and that's frustrating. Yeah. Um, but again, I'm learning to love myself through the frustration and understand that there's, there's a lot of things that are challenging me and, um, but I'm grateful for people like you who are great cheerleaders that can, you know, help again, shift my mind off of what, I, what I'm failing at or what's going bad to, wow, you really have, you know, you help me focus back on the positive side. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So your inner critic. Who does it sound like? Probably my mom, because she was the one that was more critical about, you know, gosh, you're really putting on the beef or, you know, things like comments like that, yeah. always comparing me. 
I would hear her comments about other people she was watching, you know, watching whether at a shopping mall or on the beach, she'd make comments about, wow, that person's really fat or that person's really skinny or look at that. You know, she was always comparing and occasionally I would be the one she was comparing. And so I've become very self-conscious of, of that kind of thing. So yeah. You bring up a really good point, which is that oftentimes, you know, the, the pain that we experience from um, hearing our parents be critical, it's not necessarily directed just at us, but you, kids are so um, brilliant, you know, kids pick up on everything. And so if, if your child hears you being critical of somebody else, that impacts them as well, because they're, you know, they're not necessarily thinking it consciously, like, oh, mom really values thin people. Um, I need to be thin to be loved by mom. Like it's not necessarily like this conscious process, but it's, it, it gets stored in there. Like it really does. It really does. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, she struggled with herself. I mean, she had a poor self. I'm learning that again, after many years of kind of figuring things out on myself, recognizing, wow, that's the insecurity in her coming out because she struggled with weight most of her life. Yeah. And, uh, and so again, her coping mechanism was to try to bring people down to her level, not, not bring herself up, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's something, again, it's an interesting coping mechanism. Some people feel they can't go higher. So they bring people down by trying to knock them down with negative comments or thoughts. And, um, and it's obviously unhealthy mm -hmm. way. And, um, but I'm, I'm glad I've at least learned to recognize that mm -hmm. and not and understand a little bit more about her past and what she had to overcome. Mm -hmm. And now, fortunately, she's definitely has learned uh, to eat better. She's she because her body was suffering and um, a lot of joint pains and stuff like that. And since she has improved her diet, she's so much more comfortable. She's lost weight. She feels better about herself. So now I'm seeing, you know, she's improved, but now I've got to overcome those skeletons that are in my closet, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, and just saying that those are, those are done, you know, clear them out, throw them away because mm -hmm. I don't need them anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, you even brought up another, another good subtle point, which is that even if we hear our parents being critical of themselves, we internalize that as well. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And we really are like, we're such our own worst critic. Like we talk to ourselves in a way that we would never talk to anybody else. Like if somebody talked to me the way that I talk to myself, like we'd be done. <laughs> I'm not a physical person. So I wouldn't say that I would like punch that person in the face or anything. If you are, I mean, by all means, like, I'm sure you could relate to that. My sister is such a physical person. Like I've seen her just like kick over trash cans. <laughs> like I've seen her do crazy stuff, but like she would definitely punch somebody in the face, but I would just break up with them. I would be like, no, I'm never speaking to you again. I can't believe you would ever talk to me like that. And yet I talk to myself like that. So I can really resonate with what you guys are saying. We, we all do it to ourselves. Um, and so the reason why I asked you whose voice does it sound like is because I'm purposely trying to get you to realize that you didn't ask for that conditioning. You were born this perfect child that loved yourself. Like that's our inherent state is to love ourselves and to see our own dignity and worth. I have a five-year-old and, you know, studies show that usually girls, their, their self-conscious critical behavior kicks in like around nine or 10 years old is what most studies show. When you start to realize, oh, this is how other people want me to be. I'm going to do that. 
Um, so she's still before that, you know, and it's everything is just like, mommy, look at me, look at me, look at me. And it's dancing and it's twirling and it's singing at the top of your lungs in the shower, not caring how you sound. Like this is our natural inherent state. And we learn to be critical of ourselves. We all did. And we got it from an adult in our lives when our brains were forming our hard drives between the ages of zero and seven years old. And so I wanted to ask you guys that so that you could start to develop some self-compassion around this. Wait a minute, this actually isn't my natural voice. This is somebody else's voice. Where did I actually learn this from? And do I want to continue to choose to believe it? Or do I want to rewire it from a place of self-compassion? So I wanna go around now and ask you each to share your Enneagram type. Um, and this is from the homework. So what's your basic fear, your basic desire, key motivations and addictions? This was coming from the Enneagram Institute website. Do you struggle with self-compassion? I was self-aware most of my life about my own messed up beliefs, thoughts, and habits. I knew exactly what childhood stories they were born out of even, but I had no self-compassion. Instead, I was still judging, condemning, and hating myself over it. I was telling myself I should be past this, should be able to get over it, should be stronger than this. I shamed myself. I looked in a mirror and said horrible things to myself, thinking that maybe that would motivate me to change. I would generate some harebrained plan for me to get it together and restrict and punish myself to lose weight, which of course would only last a few days or maybe a few weeks before I would self-sabotage. Can you relate? Most of the women I work with already have a high level of self-awareness, but they lack self-compassion. We cannot rewire our brains until we have self-compassion. We can lose weight without self-compassion. We can reach our goals without self-compassion. We can hate ourselves through the whole process and we will still feel miserable once we see that number on the scale. Sure, we'll feel a temporary thrill, but we will very quickly adapt and go back to feeling miserable, or we'll just move the goalpost and think that we need to lose more weight to love ourselves. We cannot let go and move on from our old ways through self-judgment and shame, only through self-love. Judgment and fear might produce temporary behavior modification, but love is what produces true long-term change from the inside out. This month's mindset class is called Compassion for Your Coping. In this class, you will learn about your Enneagram personality and how it has impacted your relationship with food, weight, and body image. You'll learn your childhood wound, or the primary message that you received as a child, and how it shapes the story that you tell yourself about your life, your health, your weight, and your capabilities. You'll learn your signature brand of coping with self-compassion and gratitude for how it has helped you survive. You'll learn easy, practical ways to practice self-compassion, and you'll get specific personal growth recommendations that you can begin to take action on. When you sign up, I will email you access to the recorded class, and you can watch it whenever is good for you and have access to it forever. The price is just $22 through PayPal. Head over to bit.ly slash self-care keto class to sign up today. Thank you.